Hello, and welcome to the Villains and Monsters podcast, where true crime meets thrilling fiction and dark minds come together to talk about all things sinister and psychotic. I'm Cassie Sharp, suspense and thriller author and your host. Hey guys, so we're back with episode two, season two of Villains and Monsters. Um, today we are going to hear chapters three and four of Dark Dead Stars, my uh, second book that was published this year in February. Um, if you tuned in for episode one, you got the intro to the story. It was uh, chapters one and two. Um, you got to meet Alexa Storm and Marion Brody, the main characters. Um, and... I am so excited for you guys to hear the rest of this story. It's, um, I was reading over it the other night, looking through the chapters. So, you know, trying to prepare my narration voice and, um, there's a lot of shit that I forgot, (laughs) um, that I can't wait to get to. So, yay. Um, I do want to talk about something, um, serious though real quick before we get into the recap um this book was set in the pacific northwest grays harbor washington area um and right now there are terrible 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 fires going on all over the pacific northwest in california Uh, Washington, Oregon, and California are all being devastated right now by by these fires. Um, It's horrifying. People are being evacuated. I was looking at pictures, and the fucking entire sky was red. And it made everything in the picture red. And it was a picture, you've probably seen it, This it's been going around a lot. It was a picture like somebody took outside their front door and there was a UPS truck. Um, and it just looked like something you would see in a movie about apocalypse. Um, and it was just, it was just awful. And I've been following stories and um, I have some friends and some other uh some author friends and some and some readers who live in the area, and I just want you to know that my thoughts and my prayers are with you guys. Um, it's uh, it's just terrible. It's just awful. Um, I think they said in California something like 1.1 million acres have been burned so far. Um, oh, it just breaks my heart. So I am going to put links to a couple of different ways you guys can help and donate to, um, different organizations that are helping, uh, fight these fires, helping families who are being displaced, who've had to evacuate hundreds of thousands of people are under evacuation orders right now. And we're in the middle of the fucking pandemic. That's getting ready to get worse because flu season is coming. Um, And we're in the middle of this crazy election season, but the pandemic just makes being displaced from your home absolutely horrifying. I just can't imagine 
what these families are going through. Plus we're in a complete economic crisis. They may be losing everything that they own and it just, it breaks my heart. So, um, I'm going to put links in the show notes for ways that you guys can help, uh, places that you can donate. Um, please look into it. If, if you haven't been following up on it, um, it's just absolutely tragic, absolutely tragic. Um, and anybody who is being affected by these fires, uh, you know, if you want somebody to talk to, hit me up in an email or, um, or message me on Facebook. I'm here. Um, and I'm, and I'm so, so, so sorry that you're going through this and my every thought and prayers with you. Okay. Let's recap a little bit and then we'll get into the book. Okay. So chapter one, we met Marion Brody. Uh, we met her when she's sneaking out of her house. She has to sneak past someone who's there. Um, we don't know who yet. And then she goes to, she goes on a walk in the middle of the night to some railroad tracks, uh, looking for a body. And we know that she's got some sort of articles with her, um, in her plastic bag that she carries around. Um, but we don't really know what the hell is going on and why she's there. Um, and then it ends with, uh, the cop showing up and she's like, shit. Um, okay. So then the second chapter, we met the other main character, Alexa Storm. Now, Alexa Storm, um, is a blogger, a crime blogger, mostly serial killers. Um, and she is coming to Grays Harbor, Washington to, um, study her next subject. And so it starts off with her in this cafe, um, that, and while she's in Washington, she's in Washington, she's in a cafe, um, and she's on her way to Grace Harbor. She meets this man who, um, uh, knows the gray Harbor area. Well, he just came from there and he warns her that there's a lot of darkness, a lot of bad things going on there, which she of course already knows because that's the whole reason she's going. Um, so then we follow Alexa into the city. She gets lost looking for the Hoquiam police department and, um, ends up finding a body, a dead body on the side of the road. Um, and then, uh, so she's kind of investigating the scene. Um, and then she feels like she's being watched. She sees somebody in the trees watching her. Um, and she drops her phone and breaks it. So now she's in the middle of nowhere with a dead body, somebody watching her through the trees, uh, with no phone. So that's where we ended with her. And, um, that's where we're going to pick up on chapter three. Okay. So here we go, guys. Chapter three, come as you are. I'd knocked three times now, nothing. I was sure I'd heard footsteps when I approached the front porch, so 
Either I was imagining things, something seriously likely at this point, or the residents didn't want anything to do with me, also likely. I glanced back, but all was quiet. My bike was undisturbed. The body was there, its putrid decay still lingering in the air. And here I was, stranded, still. I knocked one more time, but it was useless. I'd just have to leave the body and ride to the nearest business to call the police. I turned and descended the front steps. What do you want? I twirled back to the house. A man stood half-dressed and scowling on the other side of the screen door. Yeah, hi, I said. Can I use your phone? Mine is broken and there's a... I paused, glancing to the road, then back to him. His brows were scrunched, his hand poised to shut the door in my face. I just really need to make a quick call. The man regarded me with a sneer while I held mine at bay. His large, hairy stomach hung low and exposed below his dingy shirt. Who you calling? This was always the tricky part. Civilians acted one of three ways around death. Sickly intrigued, scared shitless, or maniacal. I could have done without witnessing any of the, the above from him, but I needed that damn phone and he didn't exactly act like the kind of neighbor you'd borrow sugar from without questions. The police. My voice was low and even. Nothing to see here. He didn't react, not a twitch or a flinch. After a full minute stare down, he glanced to the road. Already called them. Figured you for a runner. Excuse me? He pointed to the road. Saw you standing over him just now. You kill him? Eyes narrowed, I crossed my arms. No, I found him that way. Yeah, sure. Just so happens he's laying out there, and you're here with your fancy motorcycle. Way I see it, you hit him with that thing, and now you're trying to play it off. That's not what happened, he shrugged. That's what I told the cops. Should be here soon. With that, he turned and slammed the door. Asshole. Five minutes later, two cruisers and an unmarked came flying around the curve, lights blaring, while I stood propped against my bike. Given the warm introduction, courtesy of the friendly neighbor back there, it would likely not be my most pleasant meet and greet with the local officers. Once parked, officers filed out of the cruisers marked Hoquiam Police. Two of them made their way toward the body, while the other two crossed the road, likely to set up a perimeter. I briefly considered marching toward the unmarked to get this over with, but you never knew what kind of cops you were dealing with. Could be they were sitting there waiting for me to come to them. Could be they were making me sweat. Most likely, they were running my plates. The driver's side door opened first. A woman scanned the area before her suspicious glare landed on me. She rounded the hood of the car, her steps unhurried, her jaw set, her destination clear. I stood up straight. Ma'am, I'm Detective Franco, Hoquiam Police, she said, stopped a few feet away. Let's chat. I sighed, set my backpack on my bike, then turned back to her with a nod. Why don't you start by telling me your name and what you're doing out here? What you're doing in this town? Detective Franco had harsh cheekbones and curious eyes. Alexa Storm. I said, I'm here on business. I'm here on this road because I got lost trying to find your police department. Franco narrowed her eyes, silently considering me. I see. 
And him? She asked, pointing in the direction of the body. Found him that way. Franco stepped forward and slightly to the side. She rounded me, keeping her distance, her squint fixed on my bike. Looks pretty clean for the end of a road trip. Seriously? Yeah, I take care of my shit. Did she think I kept a portable shampooer in my backpack in the event that I'd need to get away with running someone over? Why didn't you call it in yourself? She asked. I was going to, but I broke my phone. I dug in the pocket of my jacket to prove my statement true. Pulling out my phone for her to see, I said, there was someone out there in the woods watching me. It spooked me and I dropped it. Franco crossed her arms. Someone watching you? Yes. She glanced around the crime scene. Let's back up to when you got into town. Why you were on this road. Well, I... Franco! I turned toward the voice that cut me off. The unmarked was empty and a man, her partner most likely, stalked toward us. Franco nodded to him. What's up, Ace? Ace stopped in front of me. His eyes narrowed as he watched me while he spoke to his partner. Called in the crime scene techs. Got some uniforms on their way to close the road. Guy's been dead a while, judging by the smell. GSW to the temple and looks cut up. He jerked his head. You find out what she's doing here? Let's go have a look at it, Franco said to Ace, her eyes sliding to me. Not so subtle code for, let me tell you all about this bag of crazy. You stay put for now, Ace called as they left. I shook my head, lowering myself to crisscross on the grass. This treatment by the police was nothing new. There was a detective in Philadelphia a few years ago who told me that I'm the cop's worst nightmare, but too sweet to hate. I'm pretty sure he was talking about my ass when he said sweet. He'd been staring at it, for one, and there was no way he'd meant my personality. I slouched as I waited, road wariness beginning to settle in my joints. A slight drizzle had begun to coat the grasses when I saw it again, the face. To the left of the house, right behind the tree line, it peeked out at me for a solid minute. Our eyes met. My breath halted. The call for help itching to leap from my tongue stilled with the straightening of my spine. When it disappeared again, I shot up and stumbled down the hill. Franco was hunched in a crouch next to the body. I paused, watching her as she studied the dead man in silence. Her eyes were focused on the wound in his temple. Her brow scrunched, her glove fist clenched. Ace stood behind her at a distance. His jaw was granite, his arms crossed. A clearing of my throat caused both their heads to swing to me. Didn't I tell you to weigh up there? Ace spat. You're corrupting a crime scene. You did, but... Miss Storm, you need to back up, Franco said. I complied by three steps and pointed to the tree line. I told you there was someone here before. I just saw him again. Franco stood, her hand poised on the gun at her hip. Where? I turned, stepping lightly around possible evidence until my boot crunched over fallen leaves and pine needles. They followed me into the brush, into a jungle of thick, thorny limbs, a tug on my jacket halted me before we reached the first tree. You stay here. I shoved off Ace's hand. Franco, stay with the woman. I'll go in. The big, bad man detective said. You always let him take all the risks to protect you? 
I asked Franco when he left to barrel through the bushes. She narrowed her eyes, saying nothing. Minutes passed as I listened for a confrontation. Spring had flourished here, the hefty limbs thick with leaves and vines. I couldn't see anyone, and though I could hear footfall atop pine needles, it only originated from one source. Whoever had been playing peekaboo with me didn't seem to be out there anymore. Perhaps he was hiding, or he'd incapacitated Ace and was wandering alone, planning his next kill. I shook my head to clear the paranoia. I saw Ace's buzz cut before he emerged. Go back to your bike and wait like you were told, he said when he stepped fully from the tree line. Did you see him? I asked. Ace took two steps toward me, encroaching. Can you not hear? Ace! He turned to his partner and nudged his head toward the body, then curled his lip at me and left. We'll get back with you, Franco told me before following him. The sky had grown dark while I waited uphill for the detectives to, to acknowledge my presence again. In the hours spent sitting tight, I'd written pages of case notes in my journal. It had occurred to me, after being ordered to wait, that perhaps this wasn't the case I should be taking on. There's a strangler in Arizona that's been getting national attention. I'd hoped to have the opportunity to work with the police here in Grays Harbor, but after the day's events, I doubted that'd be happening which meant two things. If I stayed, I'd have to get creative to find information about the past murders, and I'd likely have to do a good bit of investigating suspects on my own. It would make my job harder, but not impossible. This would be my 20-something-ish case if I took it on. 19 serial killers, 73 victims, one insane blogger. The facts I knew about the murders prior to this body were minimal. I knew this was the fourth homicide of homeless men in the last year. I knew each one had similar injuries and causes of death. I knew the bodies were found across the Grays Harbor community with no apparent pattern. And I knew, whether the police wanted to link them or not, that this was the work of a serial killer. But I'd not seen any coroner's reports had not been privy to the police investigative tactics. There'd not been any public announcement of suspects or leads in any of the cases. There'd not been much public attention to the deaths at all, to my knowledge. My fingers clenched around the pen in my left hand. Joe may have been right. Nobody gave a shit about the deaths of some homeless men, not even the media. I closed my journal and gazed at the scene below. Large white tarps had been erected around and above the body, likely to keep the scene unadulterated from wind and rain. Spotlights circled the tarps and surrounding area, their heads downcast. Techs and forensic scientists skirted about with precision, all dressed in gowns and matching booties. Officers stood at each end of the perimeter on the outside of the crime scene tape. The road was blocked a few hundred feet away on both sides. More officers gathered on the outside of the barricades. All standard procedure. But there was something I found bothersome. The detectives assigned to the case, Ace and Franco, were not near the body. Were not discussing possible causes and outcomes. The two stood on opposite ends of the perimeter, drinking coffee and chatting with officers. Franco laughed. My teeth clenched. And then movement near their house made me flinch. 
It wasn't fully dark yet, but light had diminished to the point where I could barely make out the silhouette of a person sitting on the grass a couple hundred feet away. I glanced to Franco, who seemed to be in a heated conversation with an officer. Then to Ace, who was leaning on one of the barricades, speaking to a woman whose shoes were still in booties. My eyes finally settled back on the silhouette. I took a deep breath. Knowing the chances a killer would be watching the scene so close to me was unlikely. Subtle movements brought me close enough to the newcomer to tell it was a young man, possibly even a teenager. I couldn't see his features clearly, but it wasn't late enough to take off my sunglasses, so instinct would have to carry me on this one. And my instinct told me I was safe. For now. May I sit? I asked. He nodded. I slumped down in the grass next to him. He was a teenager, for sure. Despite his baby face, he looked to be 16 or 17, strong, tall, capable, and his eyes were focused on the crime scene below. I fiddled with the zipper on my jacket. You know who it is? He shook his head. You live around here? A nod. A possible witness, then. I cleared my throat. Did you see anything? Nod. I should have brought my damn journal with me. My fingers twitched while I waited for him to elaborate. See things. Ugly and wet, he said. I swallowed. He turned to me, intensity in his stare. Sawed you next to him before the blues and reds came. I jerked back him. The face, those dark eyes. You, you, you stay right there. I stammered, fumbling to my feet. Inching away from him, I yelled, Franco, ace! My back was to the crime scene, my eyes rooted to his feet. If they moved, I'd run. I blew out a held breath when I heard footsteps behind me. Miss Storm, what? Franco stopped next to me. The hell is going on? It was him, I said, pointing. He's the one who was watching me from the woods. Franco nodded and turned around. Ace, up here! Seconds later, Ace stood next to Franco with his arms crossed. What? She says this young man was the one watching her earlier. Ace moved in front of the kid and turned, glaring at me. Go back to your bike and wait like you were told. I glanced to Franco. Her brow was creased and I was sure mine matched. Did you not hear me? She asked. I heard. He's not a suspect. Go. Ace, don't you think we need to talk to him? He could have seen something. Franco's tone was placating, conjoling. She knew how to handle her partner. Probably what kept her from killing him. He didn't see shit, Ace barked. I crossed my arms. How do you know? He could be the one who did it. This dickhead had ignored me at every turn. I wasn't leaving the spot until he gave me answers. Ace was in my space before my eyes caught up to my brain. He grabbed my arm. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? I'm an officer of the law and you're what? What was it you called her, Franco? A blogger? Sounds like a crime chaser. Pathetic coward. Too weak to be a cop. Too fucking dumb and blonde to be a reporter. I tried to jerk out of his grasp. Your badge doesn't give you the right to manhandle me. Get the fuck off. Ace was a big man. Jacked. He could break my arm with a squeeze of his fingers, but I kept my panic at bay. You show a bully fear, he owns you. Ace, shut up, Franco, he said, bringing his face close to mine. 
get out of my town. There's nothing for you to write about here. I smirked. How about the fact that you have four bodies and you haven't done shit about it? Ace? Franco's voice drifted off when I caught sight of him. The kid. He was rocking back and forth, his hands over his ears. His eyes were squeezed shut as he chanted something to himself. I couldn't make it out, and I went slack in Ace's grip. You see him now, yeah, Ace said, low and menacing. He's mentally challenged, born that way. You accused a disabled kid who was walking in the woods of murder. What kind of bitch does that? I jerked my arm from his grasp and turned, heading for my bike, suffocating beneath the ringing in my ears. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Franco ambled to me as I was shoving things into my backpack. You have reservations at a hotel somewhere? I shook my head, praying the dimness of dusk hid my flushed skin. Why don't you go back and check in at Gray's Inn? There should be plenty of rooms available. You can come down to the station in the morning for your statement. I dipped my chin. Miss Storm, she said. I met her stare. What? I'm just curious. She glanced around. We were alone. I've read your work before. And why, why do you do it? Write about these terrible things about killers. I shrugged. I'm good at it. She chewed the inside of her cheek. But what makes you an expert on psychopaths? The cracked linoleum was cold on my bare skin. Fluorescent lighting painted the tiny bathroom in stark clarity, each dirty corner of the room screaming to be wiped. My mouth was open, nose closed to the stench of old urine. With shaky hands, I brought the sharp metal tweezers back to my inner thigh, now red with irritation. I clasped an almost invisible hair between its teeth and squeezed. My eyes watered when I plucked it out. I'd stripped down to my underwear the moment I checked into my room. That had been over an hour ago at least. My lower back ached from sitting here so long, but I blocked it out. All senses focused on the pain of extracting sensitive hairs from my skin. My sunglasses sat on the side of the stained sink, the music from my iPod blasting the Decemberists in my ears. I wiped my eyes and went in for more clasp squeeze, pluck, clasp, squeeze, pluck. What makes you an expert on psychopaths? Franco's unanswered question sung in harmony with the music in my head. I clenched the tweezers, squeezing my eyes shut. The answer came out with the next hair on a whispered prayer, because I am one. Chapter four, Home and Tonic. Marion Brody blew annoyance from her lips, fogging the glass that pressed against her cheek. She swiped a fingertip through the steam, curling her trail into a question mark. You shouldn't be out at this time of night. That was the second damn time the deputy had said it. Marion was old, not deaf or stupid. The interior of Deputy Sheridan's car was cold uninviting. It had taken quite a bit of arguing for Marion to accept the ride. She could have walked home. It was how she arrived at Fifano in the first place, but 
Once the deputy kept asking about Marion's purpose for being out there, she'd given in. It was none of the cops' business, but wasn't that just typical of law enforcement? Nosy as hell, entitled. And anyway, Marion wasn't sure of the truth of it all herself. How do you know where I live? Marion asked when Sheridan made a turn without direction. It's my duty to know these things. There it was, entitlement. That at least hadn't changed. Huh. Sheridan took another turn. This one was sharper than necessary. Marion flew sideways. Jesus, woman, don't you think it's your duty to know how to drive? Marion said, her tone tart and taunting. What were you doing out there? Marion should have opted for the back seat where there was a partition between her and assaulting a police officer. She fiddled with the handles of her bag. Taking a damn walk, that against the law? Just strange. Marion shrugged and peered out the window. Small houses sidled up to one another, sharing fences and secrets. Nothing and everything had changed about this town. But that was the thing about life, wasn't it? There were no high noon duels on dusty streets anymore, but a man would still beat another's ass for touching his wife. And killers, though they'd had to become more crafty in the age of technology, still enjoyed a good slaughtering, still lusted for the high of watching the last bit of life drain from irises. Even if they had to wear gloves and bodysuits while doing it, nothing, everything. These streets aren't safe for a woman your age at three o'clock in the morning. I know how to protect myself. She could feel the disbelieving stare from the deputy across the seat. I'm sure you do, ma'am, but next time, try picking a nice afternoon walk, yeah? You aren't so young and perky yourself, Marion said. Sheridan was maybe ten years her younger. Yes, well, I've had an entire career of training, and I carry a gun. So do I. Good for you. They still haven't caught him, you know. Sheridan said, low, as if in secret. Caught him? He's still out there somewhere. You really want to run into a man like that in the dead of night? A man like that? You aren't in a position to run these days. I mean, you haven't left your house since. What the hell did she know? You sure like the sound of your own voice, don't you? Why don't you just fucking drive and leave me alone? It was a mistake to leave the house tonight unwise. You don't have much respect for the law, do you? Respect. Respect was earned. And anyway, the law was a joke. It hadn't kept all those people from dying. Marion had read all about them today and more than once. Those articles were important, dire even, and Marion had to find out, had to know. About as much as you respect a person's need for quiet, Something between a grunt and a growl spewed from Sheridan's throat, but then silence, finally. Marion hopped out of the car the moment it stopped in front of her home. Shuffling up the cracked sidewalk, she let her fingertips caress the leathery vines that swallowed the handrails on either side. Her home was quiet, still. No lighting to attract insects on the porch. No lights on anywhere, for that matter. You wouldn't know it was there had it not been for bright street lamps. Hushed darkness. She coveted it. But then, so did most monsters. 
A swish whispered from behind. Marion jerked her spine, turned. What are you doing here? She asked the deputy who was following her. Making sure you get in safely. Marion narrowed her eyes. You need to leave. Sheridan reached for her belt, and for one breath of time, Marion thought she might die here on her rumpled lawn in her faded nightgown. But one powerful, blinding ray sent fear scurrying back into the shadows like an exposed rat. Spots flitted about in the cool night air. Marion blinked a rapid-fire defense. Jesus Christ, you blinded me, she hissed, watching as Sheridan scanned the lawn with her maglite. The deputy snubbed her, probing bush and tree. The trick to getting rid of people is ignoring their existence. Marion, who'd spent a lifetime doing just that, was a professional snubber. Hell, she'd shut her front door one afternoon and never looked back. That was 20-some years gone now. No meddlesome bitch cop was going to change the set ways of an old woman. Not today. She climbed the stone steps, ignoring Sheridan's intrusion. And just like that warm, misty afternoon all those years ago, Marion eased open her front door and clicked the lock behind her, shutting out the people, the past, the deaths. Her shoulders slumped in the bleak darkness of her entryway. Home. The ceiling groaned. Air froze in Marion's throat. Old, rusted pipes gurgled a flush from upstairs. She closed her eyes as truth burrowed back inside her mind. He was here, and she'd been too loud with the front door. She slunk into the wall behind her, holding her breath, listening. Counting down from 30 in her head, Marion slipped off her shoes. At zero, she padded to the base of the staircase, watching for movement above. Halfway up, Marion paused to peep beyond the summit to the shadowed hallway on the second floor. It was quiet, still. Adrenaline scattered tingles through her fingers, pulsed in the middle of her tongue. Nothing a hefty glass of gin wouldn't cure. She climbed the rest of the stairs, thirsty, determined. And when she made it to her bedroom door without discovery, the night's activity met her there, sinking into her tired, weary bones. Marion flicked on the overhead light in her bedroom and headed straight to bed. Palms pressing into the plush comforter, she lowered her creaky knees to the carpeted floor and reached under her king-sized sleigh bed. Her fingertips brushed air. She reached farther, nothing. She ducked her head down, not a dust bunny or bottle in sight. No, he fucking didn't. Where have you been? Marion swung her gaze to the doorway. Where's my gin? Her voice shook. He crossed his arms and leaned on the frame, staring at his shoes. You don't drink gin, he said, low, as if to himself. Marion glared. Of course I drink it. There was a bottle under my bed. What did you do with it? His eyes flicked behind her. She wanted to turn to follow his stare, but wild alarm knocked at her chest and she couldn't turn her back to him. Where did you go? He asked, his tone guarded. Go? Yeah, you just came home. Was that a cop car I saw dropping you off? Marion leveraged weight on her elbows, attempting to stand. None of your business, she said when she was sitting on the bed. He'd step back a few feet, but he was still in her room. Her fingers itched to throw something at his head. Why were you out in the middle of the night? What did you do? Her hands clenched, always accusing. Get out! 
you leave for the first time in years in the middle of the night, a cop drops you off at home. You play it off like it's nothing. And you think I'm supposed to just accept that bullshit. I don't care what you think. Now get out of here and leave me alone. He huffed a harsh sigh. Fine. Close the door behind you. He did. Marion, already in her night clothes, turned down the comforter and crawled to the head of the bed. She grabbed the bottle of vodka and glass off her nightstand. Then she drank until she passed out, tumbler still in hand. guys so that is it for today um that was fun you got to see a little bit more of each character and how they interacted with other people um definitely makes for some interesting observations of the both of them um so next week make sure you tune in to figure out what happens um after alexa stays the night in the hotel and then she's supposed to go give her statement so figure out how that goes um, and then figure out what's going on with Marion Brody. Who is this person that lives in her house and why has she never left her house in the last 20 something years? Um, so stay tuned and I will see you guys next week. Have a fucking fabulous week and don't forget to check the show notes for links um, for ways that you can help the terribly devastating fires that are going on on the West Coast right now, okay? Um, see you guys later. Bye!